Welcome to the Fuzzy Quality Podcast, Podcast. examining AI quality and testing topics and hosted by me, Adam Leon Smith. This is Adam Leon Smith, recording a new podcast for Fuzzy Quality, and I have here with me today Andrea Ramdana from the University of uh, Genoa. It's Genoa, right, Andrea? I'm pronouncing that right? Great. So Andrea and some colleagues have just written a very interesting uh, paper summarizing their research on on deep reinforcement learning for testing Android apps. So really pleased you could join me today, Andrea, to, to talk me through your research. I think it's really, really interesting. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I think to start with, can you summarize the problem that you were trying to solve with your research and the outcomes you achieved? Sure. Inside the deep reinforcement learning for black box testing of Android apps, this is the name of the paper, we present a testing tool named ARIS. And with ARIS, we want to achieve two significant results. The first goal is to advance in black box testing of Android applications, outperforming the state-of-the-art tools such as Sapiens, which is one of the most uh, famous uh, testing tools, and or Time Machine, which is one of the most recent testing tools. The second goal is to create a stable and reliable tool that the developers can uh, use daily. Uh, This point is not uh, trivial because uh, many published tools are at uh, a prototype level and work on very old Android OS versions. So this means that uh, it is not very useful today for developers. And what I can say is that uh, Ares uh, achieved both of the previous previous goals, and anyone can test and try it. And this is an invite to the software testing community to to test it, but also to the developers to to try it and to uh, help me to improve it. Great. So let's just start a little bit with with reinforcement learning. So I always like to explain reinforcement learning as um, a really good technique for playing games. And it's the sort of technique that has been quite well known in terms of playing chess, in terms of playing Go and things like that. It's really a a machine learning technique that um, allows a agent to learn as it goes. So perhaps it has a reward function that may be uh, winning a game and the agent can take actions that, that move it towards that goal. One of the things you said in your paper, Andrea, is that mobile apps have a huge state space. And I just wondered um, if that's something that's particular to mobile apps or is it common to all sorts of software that might be tested? And is it comparable to something like a, chess, a chessboard or a game? Uh, well, Only in the latest years, Android apps uh, grew in complexity, requiring uh, new exploration methods such as deep reinforcement learning. Still, it is a familiar situation to the majority of the software. But there are, I want to point out that there are two kinds of complexity, 
The first one is the software dimension. And the second one is, the, is a software that does complex operations. Think of uh, airplane software. It is huge and it is complex. Nowadays, uh, complexity is growing in both directions in mobile apps. And this is mainly related to, uh, let's say, the SOC's power inside the mobile devices, which are reaching uh, desk desktop machines in uh, computational speed uh, and memory. Uh, so people needs are changing and uh, mobile devices are closing the gap uh, to desktop machines, let's say common machines. I suppose one example of that is the data flows going in and out of a, a mobile device. You think about the number of apps that are installed and the number of servers that a single mobile device will be communicating with, and it's really complex. So how, how do you, would you explain to our listeners the difference between traditional reinforcement learning and deep reinforcement learning, which is, is what you've used in Aries? The traditional form of reinforcement learning is the tabular reinforcement learning. And it has been applied very often to testing problems so far. Think, uh, think of uh, Q-learning. It is one of the most common, most uh, uh, known reinforcement learning algorithm. And in tabular reinforcement learning, usually we want to estimate the value of the action state associations. And the action state value is a value that indicates if taking an action in a given state is good or bad. For example, you are in front of a door, okay? Your state is to be in front of a door and you can do uh, two kinds of actions. Uh, you can open the door or let it close. The pairs of act, the pairs uh, action state uh, has a value uh, that, uh, and, and this is what, what we want. We want to give a value to the, the pair, open the door, uh, we are in front of the door, uh, open the door. These action state values are stored in a fixed table that often is called Q table. And this table has the purpose of discretizing the so-called action value function. Let me simplif simplify a little bit. Uh, the action value function can be seen as the collection of all the action state pairs or all the action state values. But action value functions can be complicated to uh, approximate and can consist uh, of many action state combinations. And due to this, uh, Q-tables uh, and uh, Q-learning algorithms uh, can have many problems to, uh, to control and to test uh, all the combinations becomes uh, really difficult or even unfeasible. But by using deep reinforcement learning, the action value function is approximated using uh, a neural network. Neural networks uh, can generalize the knowledge uh, instead of storing uh, simply and looking up uh, every uh, little distinct pair of action state values. 
So is it similar to how we would remove the need for explicit logic if we were using a neural network for, say, a classification problem? Uh, yes. Yes, yes. Great. Okay. So you mentioned Q-learning a few times. So why is Q-learning appropriate for a testing application? Well, this is not uh, entirely true. Q-learning is, a, as I said, a tabular reinforcement learning algorithm born in 1989. So it is quite old. <laughs> uh, and it is useful in relatively simple scenarios. But now, uh, mobile apps are far from being uh, as simple as it would uh, require a Q-learning approach. Sure, it can be applied to simple apps uh, that, for example, do not uh, manage uh, login screens uh, or, or something like that. But uh, uh, to overcome the, limit the limitations of Q-learning, uh, we decided to use deep reinforcement learning. Okay, that makes sense. So the other thing I noticed from your paper is you used a simulated environment. You called it FATE, F-A-T-E. Can you tell me more about this and, and why you needed to use this? Yes. Uh, deep reinforcement learning algorithms uh, um, are very par powerful, but uh, they have a cost. Let's say that we, they, they need uh, to be fine-tuned. Uh, we need to fine-tune the so-called hyperparameters. And this is quite expensive to do on uh, real applications. Therefore, we developed uh, FATE, which is a simulation environment uh, for fast uh, Android testing. In FATE, we, um, we create models only of the navigation, we model only the navigation constraints of Android apps. So um, in, in this way, FATE can compare alternative testing algorithms or quickly tune their hyperparameters. After this tuning phase through FATE, uh, we have a suitable configuration for the algorithms and the hyperparameters to deploy on, uh, on ARIS. Got it. So that's useful because you're comparing different algorithms in your research. But if I was testing a real Android application using Ares, I probably wouldn't want to use Fate. Is that right? I can. I think that Fate uh, is definitely appropriate in a real life testing. Consider, for example, a developer that creates uh, it, its application. He can also create uh, a Fate model. Of, uh, of its application, fine-tune the testing algorithm and deploy it on ARIS. In this way, uh, the, the developer is sure that ARIS uh, behaves uh, in, the best way, in the best possible way for its application. Okay, I see. So uh, would I use it with FATE and also without FATE? Would I, because you could have crashes that are introduced by um, the back end. So say you're running out of memory somewhere processing a large JSON file. You know, you, you would kind of miss that kind of crash if you use fate, wouldn't you? Or am I misunderstanding? No, uh, let's, um, let's say that fate is apart from the app. It is uh, something more. You make the fate model on your PC, on your laptop. 
you create uh, from 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 this uh, from this model you extract a python model sorry i'm a little bit technical now uh, you extrapolate you have this python model that you test with an environment uh, which is similar to uh, to aries let's say that uh, fate is a a twin of aries uh, in the sense that uh, he um, he has the sa- it, it has the same uh, algorithms uh, and the same purpose, but uh, um, fate is not related to uh, to Android devices or to real Android apps. One of the things that I'm wondering is many faults that we detect in testing, whether it's automated testing or manual testing, don't result in crashes. And I think your research was focused on detecting application crashes. Is that right? Uh, not not only uh, it was focused on uh, code coverage and uh, uh, measure the amount of crashes of application crashes. Mm-hmm. Well, Ares has the purpose of concentrate its efforts on testing the app and to find their crashes, as I already said. But Ares, uh, in reality, could be uh, let's say modified. To, to test the Android operating system, for example, at the application framework, framework level or even deeper at the kernel level. Nonetheless, this step is not, uh, let's say, straightforward as some issues can, uh, can arise. We need to do some enchantment steps to distinguish, for example, between a crash generated by an application and the crash that comes from uh, other services within the system. Indeed, I guess the the thing about code, the thing about code coverage is covering the code is only as valuable as the quality of your validations and assertions. So, so detecting crashes is great, um, but some of the more advanced things I've seen in some tools, they might, for example, compare how the application is rendered on different mobile devices or um, they might look for specific content on the screen and compare different versions of the application. So I guess you're using what what I would call an implicit oracle, which is that applications should not crash. Everybody knows apps shouldn't crash. That's a bad thing. (laughs) Now, if you could take two versions of the app, because so much, in fact, the, uh, the majority of effort expended in testing is usually what we call regression testing. It's making sure that a new version behaves similarly to a mm-hmm. previous version to the degree that it's expected. So if you could take version one, use that in Aries and record information about the application, you could create an Oracle. So when you tested version two, you could determine if there have been changes and you could link that in with the reinforcement learning in order to provide greater coverage. That's just that's just my idea. Have you have you thought about how your research might be extended in in that kind of way? Yes, this is a, a really good idea. Uh, essentially, uh, testing two different. Uh, also, you, you you can we can use this idea in Aries. We can uh, compare different versions of Aries in this way. Uh, so, version an older version of the testing tool. Uh, used as an oracle and the newer version uh, and if the newer version does not behave 
or does not uh, have does not have the same performance of a previous uh, Aries tool, uh, we are sure that there could be an error within the tool. Fantastic. So, are you still developing Aries now? Now your research is done, your your work is published. Are you going to continue building the tool? Oh uh, yes, I want. I really want to uh, invest my time in uh, in Aries. I'm still. Um, Improving Aries time uh, time after time. Uh, for example, one last uh, thing that I uh, that I did is to add the support for uh, M1 SOCs. I don't know if you know it, Apple Silicon. Uh, yeah. The Apple uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I I've spent a lot a little bit of time on on, on doing a guide to make it work on uh, on Apple Silicon. Uh, no, I, I go the other way. I do my uh, coding on a Chromebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, if people want to play with Aries or want to find out more, um, where should they go? We can include some URLs in the, the show notes as well. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I have a GitHub page uh, in which you can find uh, the tool. It is uh, available. It is open. There is no, there is no limit. Thank you very much, Andrea, for coming on the show. It's been really good to hear about Aries, and I'm looking forward to having a play with the app. Thank you. Thank you very much. In the next episode, I'm going to be virtually moving over to Germany, where I'm going to be talking to Dr. Christina Strobel about experimental behavioral economics and AI. So stay tuned.